until now, it's just been me kind of throwing out, this is our website. Ah. Ah. This is our website. Ah. I like that. Yeah, exactly. Can we just do that? What? This is our website. Ah. SubjectRadio.com. Yeah, that was golden. I love I it. I like simplicity and I like it to be very couples, clean. All acted very simple. The matching couples. Oh my lord, I hate the matching couples. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, I think I'm attracted to normal looking women. Right, but that's not accurate. You have weird tastes. Those are all things that most of us could really improve on. It's gonna, it's gonna vary wildly, if anyone listens at all. That's what I call interesting. No real substance? That's super interesting. Fascinating, almost. Welcome to While We're on the Subject, where we talk about what we talk about. Now here's the show. Hi, Mike. Hey, John. What's on your mind this week? Okay, can we can we do that again? That was okay. <laughs> uh, uh, hi, Mike. Hey, John. What's on your mind this week? You're just gonna laugh through it. You're gonna laugh through the beginning of the show. Uh, okay. You know, my first what's on my mind was great. Uh huh. Yeah, it was it was less than enthusiastic, I would say, but that's all good. Okay, I just wanted to start today with a little bit of follow-up. So this is our first recording of the new year, which I'm excited about. Me too. Happy New Year, by the way, John. Thank you. Happy New Year to you too, Mike. Just for a little bit of follow-up about one of our previous shows, I've had a couple people contact me to ask me what I was talking about with something. And they were asking me when I was talking about all of our stuff about generational change and how people view change and how people are resistant to change. And I made the statement that people think about change too narrowly and think about facts too widely. There seems to be general confusion about that statement and what that statement means. And so I just wanted to clarify that. What what I'm talking about is change, as we talked about in that episode, is everything. All of our perception is change. So when people are thinking about changes in life, they're not thinking about it in terms of everything that we deal with, everything that we sense, the day warming up, the night cooling off, right? Like everything is change. And what I meant by people think about facts too widely is that people take facts as too certain and don't think of facts as changing or being somewhat flexible. And there are lots of things that we perceive And our perceptions are not necessarily based in reality. They're not necessarily factual. So everything around us, everything we interface with, is not necessarily concrete, stable fact. It's just our perception of the situation, right? Like if I'm having a conversation and I view someone else as being angry, they might not be angry. They might just be tired or frustrated or something else. You know what I mean? And so that's not a fact that they're like that. It's just my perception. Very enlightening. Yeah, so, you know, what's on your mind this week, Mike? Anything in particular? You know, I was thinking nothing, actually, this week. <laughs> I've been really busy. Just fully empty-headed? Just, yeah, a crazy week with work, catching up with people I haven't seen in a good long while. Mm. So I've just been very distracted. By the way, just another layer of feedback, and I guess you're really busy right now, but we had to cancel recording and couldn't manage a bunch of stuff back at the end of December. We had recordings scheduled, we had plans set up, we had to cancel them and things because we were too busy at the end of December. And I thought it was a poignant thing that we should point out to the listeners because of your incredibly adamant stance that people aren't busy in December. Fine. 
I was wrong. One of us was wrong, and it was me. The fact we had to cancel so much stuff, it was just like, it was it was so perfect. I get it. I get it. One of us was wrong, and it was Michael. It yeah, happens you know. sometimes. Not it often. Does. Rarely even, some would you say. Yeah. Every once in a while. Yeah, well, I'm still busy. December's over. Yeah, but you're not as busy. Probably not as busy. Yeah. Still pretty darn busy. Yeah, sure. Me too. But it's definitely a step down, which I've just enjoyed because (laughs) you were so adamant about it. I did have a little pet peeve I wanted to talk about today. I don't know why it's been bothering me lately, but I've just noticed it. Is it that people don't use plural possessives? Yeah. So, okay, my last name is Roberts. So that's an especially annoying name to have when you're dealing with possessives because the only way you can express a possessive with that is you go s apostrophe s which is terrible so a lot of people just put an apostrophe on the end but for all sorts of things if you have multiple people i think everyone knows the way you express a plural possessive is you put the s and then the apostrophe after the word right yeah i think most people know yeah. Maybe they don't if it's been bothering you so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think really people don't. Or I think it just bothers people and they look at it and they're like, that must be wrong. Because I just see signs everywhere here and I read stuff that people write and constantly, constantly people are like, the, the big one or one of the big ones that I see all the time is when people write Americans, like things that Americans have or something like that. And they always put apostrophe S. It, it, it drives me up a wall. Because it's not that complicated. Like, these sorts of things, they're so simple. And it's so obvious. I, I think it's kind of like when people use the wrong there. And it mm. just it just irks people. But this sort, that sort of thing, it, uh, it, it... It's true. You're bringing something to light that I think more people need to pretend that they're passionate about. I'm not saying you're not, obviously. <laughs> but, you know, people make a really big deal about there, there, and there. Like, yeah. it's the end-all, be-all. But no one really cares that much. And this this should fall into the, the meta of, of what people are bothered by. Because they make that mistake probably more often than they do their, their, their mistake. That's true. And it's maybe less obvious because it's not actually a spelling error. Still an error. It is still an error. And I think people getting angry about the whole there situation, it's useful because it makes everybody aware of it. Because it is an error that a lot of people make and can make really easily. And so it's useful to have people be aware of it so that they can not do it. I also think that the people that are bothered by it are the people that are doing it right. And the people who don't care are the people who are never going to do it right. But I'm sure there's people who care about the there, there, and there who have no idea that they're using the plural possessives wrong. And they need to know. Well, I think there are a remarkable number of people that don't even know that that's a thing. It's not that something they taught us in like elementary school or grade school or primary school. I don't think we were taught anything about grammar like spelling we were taught but in school i never learned anything about grammar really yeah i feel like i was taught a little bit about grammar really at least for like apostrophes and commas is when and where a period goes yeah, and where a yeah. comma goes and semicolon and stuff like that you weren't taught anything about semicolons come on i'm pretty sure i was taught about semicolons what were you taught about semicolons I don't remember. That was like 20 years ago. Yeah, okay. You weren't taught anything about semicolons. I'm pretty sure When you were seven in first grade. Maybe I'm misremembering. It could be apostrophes I'm thinking of. Yeah, I I definitely, I definitely remember being taught about like the difference between a comma and a semicolon and a colon and 
maybe they didn't teach us like in great detail how they're used. Sure, they might have taught you this is a semicolon, but that's a different conversation. But yeah, on the subject of language, last week we shared something that is kind of educational, which is, I think, useful to, for people to take away. It's a little archaic detail that I think is it's nice to give people because even if the rest of the show is just humdrum, boring opinions by us and random things we're thinking about. Yeah, something to learn. John is nothing if he isn't a learned man. I'm, I'm trying, you know, I'm trying. Yeah. And so today I wanted to delve a little bit into German cases. Most people don't know what cases are, rightfully so, because we don't really use them in English. And even people in the States that speak another language generally speak another language that doesn't have cases because cases in all Latin languages have pretty much eroded. They're not there anymore. But think about cases as a way to identify what part of speech something is. And this is something that I think is really cool about German. Is this that thing where they just put two words together to create a new word? No. So that's creating compound nouns. That's like saying weekend, right? Like week right. and end. Right. And that's completely different from a case. So a case is like what we were just talking about, a possessive, right? right. So the possessive is the genitive case. So in English, that's the only case we have left. We have the genitive. And that's apostrophe S in English. And that identifies to anybody reading the sentence that this thing is possessed by this other person or organization or whatever it is. Okay? Right. Now, in German, you can identify other parts of speech. And that's really useful and interesting because it lets you rearrange a sentence. So in English, you always kind of have to have the same word order in a sentence, right? Right. You always, for the most part, unless you're using the passive, say, he is tall. So mm -hmm. you have subject, verb, object. It's very straightforward. But in German, you can rearrange that because the actual part of the word tells you whether something's the subject or the object. Does that make sense? It will to someone. <laughs> so no, no, it doesn't. Okay, let me, let me clarify. So we have remnants of this in English because English used to be like this, right? Sure. We have remnants with the possessive S, but we also have remnants in pronouns. So everybody knows that you have something like he, is the, the subject, right? Right. So he is tall, right? But if you want to use he as an object, then you use him. So mm. I like him. Right. He and him are the same word. It's, it means the same thing. Yeah. But it's a different form. It's the same thing with I and me, right? Like I right. am smart versus... Help me. Right, help me. So what you're dealing with is just those are different parts of speech. And so it's the same word, but it's taking a different form. It's a similar thing to if you changed a noun into an adjective or an adjective into an adverb. You have intelligent and then intelligently, right? Like those are different forms of the same word. And mm -hmm. in the same way, with cases, you can make different forms of different words in a language to show the meaning of the word. And this is really cool if you want to emphasize certain things by putting something at the beginning of a sentence. And in German, you have a lot more flexibility with that, which kind of gives it a much more, I don't know how to put it, but like a, a much more, you, you can put a lot Distinct. more of your own. Yeah, you, you, can, <laughs> you can put a lot more of your own flair into the way you write and personal style, you know, which I think is just, it's cool. Yeah, I like it. That does sound pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. I am sorry I, I, that we don't have translation for it. 
yeah probably be a bummer some people will be like huh that's interesting and just won't ever yeah. experience it well and it's also kind of cool because it shows you how other languages can work Ooh, i read this article once mm-hmm. three or four months ago or something and i was talking about this group of people i forget where they're from okay and i apologize i don't have more details about this but the way that they talk about anything at all is in directions like for example say you had like uh like an ant on your shoulder right right i would be like oh there's an ant on your shoulder but uh, this group of people they would be like oh it's like northeast of your head uh okay yeah i've heard about this i want to say it's in like papua new guinea or somewhere in the south pacific yeah somewhere around there yeah and apparently and it's not totally related to what you're saying but it does apparently make them like really great at directions and they always know where they are and never get lost it makes sense and this is something that i think is an actually important thing that is an interesting thing to just kind of roll around in your head that the way you think is in some ways dictated by the language that you know and for certain languages you can express things much more clearly or much more precisely in certain contexts than other languages. So in some languages like that, obviously they're really good at describing directions because everyone describes directions all the time and they utilize that in a much broader sense than we would. You can see that with a lot of things in different languages. Like a classic one is the French have a bunch of words for love and Eskimos are supposed to have a bunch of words for snow. There are reasons that these things are more relevant to that culture and so they figure out more minute ways to describe these things and it is an interesting thing you know it's funny um when i was learning japanese mm-hmm. and uh, full disclaimer i don't speak very well my teacher always described japanese as a language of listening okay and you know english is a language of speaking and that japanese people say that americans or westerners don't know how to listen because everything that's said in Japanese is backwards. So you always have to kind of wait for the end of a sentence to know how something ended versus in English where we open with like, oh, he didn't do this. So you already know that whatever they're talking about wasn't done as opposed to Japanese. Right, because they do subject, object, verb, right? Yeah. And it's funny because I like mixed martial arts, Mm -hmm. MMA, UFC, whatever. And uh, they always talk about how quiet and attentive the Japanese audiences are versus like every other audience in the world. Yeah. So they just sit quietly and like take in the experience. Okay. And I mean, I don't know how much of an impact their language has on that, but I always make a connection between those two things. Yeah, it is really hard to disentangle what is culture and what is language and how language impacts culture versus how culture shapes language. All of those things are difficult to parse, I would say. Yeah. Causality is always hard, but it is interesting to see how those things often match up. Um, yeah. Yeah, I had never thought about... Japanese as a language of listening because obviously Korean works the same way as Japanese in terms of being subject object verb but Koreans are not nearly as quiet and I don't want to even say passive but like you know respectful as Japanese people are they're very kind of generally deferential very polite Koreans Mm -hmm. are not as extreme in that but Mm -hmm. that's an interesting way to think about it you know the more you learn about language the more interesting it is and then you think of these really old sayings that don't make any sense but are used widely and i don't have an example but it just popped into my head and at the time that it was created it made like perfect sense yeah and now people use them and everyone knows what they mean but there's no context 
but it just it just means that and i wish i could think of an example but well and this is true in an even stranger and more extreme sense in sayings that still exist but use words that no longer exist and in hmm. the same way i you can't have an think of, of this? any at the moment either ah. but we're gonna follow up on this yeah we're gonna have examples for you next time yeah we should definitely follow up on this Speaking of what you were just saying a minute ago about the more you learn about language, the more interesting it is. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about interest today and where it kind of comes from. Because I think you had a key insight in what you just said that I think really shapes how people behave. And yet Mm -hmm. people don't necessarily think about it in terms of what they're interested in. And that is that Interest, essentially, is generated from exposure. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, generally, that's how people learn about stuff, right? They're exposed to it. Well, but... Well, what I mean is, once you experience something after being exposed to it, you might be like, oh, that's the greatest thing. I want to learn more about it. Well, that's not even even what I'm saying, because there are things that everyone knows about. Like, everyone knows about France. It's a country. Everybody knows they speak French. Everybody knows some little bits about their history or about their involvement in the American Revolution or World War II or whatever, right? Everybody knows something about it. And yet only a small subset of the population is interested enough to read about or learn more about the country. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people look at that and they say, well, those people are just interested in France. That's why they're interested in it. That's why they're learning about it. But I would say the reason that they're interested in it is because they've been exposed to it enough that they know enough to find the nuance in the subject, the nuance in that information, and then they will find it much more interesting. You have to get to a certain depth of knowledge about a subject before you can possibly find it interesting. Yeah, some things are kind of interesting right at the surface, but to find it really interesting, you have to know more about it. And even more than that, once you know enough about just about any subject, it will seem interesting to you. Th- I mean, this is my thesis. that's true. But you don't think there's some people who saw a picture of a city in France and decided that they just wanted to learn French history or something not especially informative, but they're like, oh, that looks interesting. Yeah, that's possible. But I'm more concerned with the inverse of that, right? I'm more concerned with what people think of as boring. Okay. So a lot of people are not interested in most things, right? And I've always found That's just about everything say. interesting. Because everything can be interesting. Yeah, precisely. But most people will talk about most subjects as being boring. If you talk about a lot of things to do with history, a lot of people are like, oh, it's so boring. If you talk about some things with math or science, a lot of people find it boring. But history can't be boring. People are constantly getting, like, murdered and betrayed and suffering like people watch movies of stuff like that all the time but you know that people find it boring right i know i just i'm like you can't you don't really find it boring not if you know you talk about how boring history is and then go around and watch some movie about some ancient roman emperor cutting down people because you think it's intriguing to see people from back then do battle or whatever right but people do find it boring so if you're saying it's interesting, why do you think people find it boring? Maybe they have a misconception about history, or they think about it as like an academic thing. And they're like, oh, learning is boring. But why, you know, why do people think that? Because I think that they feel like they have to learn things. Mm. 
as opposed to wanting to learn things and they feel like anything they have to do is a chore and all chores are boring. If you have to do something, it feels boring. Sure. And and I think you're right that feeling that you have to do something automatically makes it less pleasant. Yeah. Like, I'm sure if you took someone from the city out to a ranch for a week and they got to do all the chores that a rancher has to do, they'd be like, oh, that was so cool and fun and different. And you ask a rancher about it and they're like, sucks. It's terrible. I hate doing the ranching stuff. That's interesting because that's almost the opposite of what I'm talking about. Because I'm talking about, obviously, the more you know, the more interesting it is. But that is an interesting and different context because... You're right that like when you have to do something repeatedly and repetitively and it doesn't change, that mm-hmm. becomes mundane. That becomes boring and people become desensitized to it and lose completely their interest in it. Right. But learning is the opposite almost because the more you know, the more interesting it is. And as you learn stuff, there's almost always more that you can learn about. It. There's more you can think about it. You can find additional nuance and depth to any subject right but what i mean is people feel like they have to learn and it becomes like this repetitive boring thing they do year after year while they're growing up that they don't care about learning more because they have to do it all the time you know what i mean yes no i understand it's not necessarily that things are boring when they're adults they think of subjects as boring you think it's just left over from their childhood sometimes maybe not always but like you know there's some adults who are like you know i haven't read a book since high school they probably always felt that they were forced to read and so they're happy they don't have to read anymore and they're almost proud of the fact that they don't read anything yeah but see even then i like i don't disagree with what you're saying but i don't think that that applies to a lot of instances because what you're talking about is people that are just generally disinterested and for that i would agree with what you're saying a lot of people are generally disinterested in learning and a lot of that i think does come from being numbed to it by school during their childhood so that that well, I will grant you. I mean, but there are people who are interested in things, people that are, like learning, people that are out there trying to grow in their lives and in the world. And those people still find a lot of things boring. Yeah, but you might find someone who has like a strong vocation, right? Mm-hmm. And for that one particular thing, you know, their career, they put all their time into learning new things for it and being better at it. Right. And could have just a general disinterest about everything else. Right, I know, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people are interested in things, they're interested in learning things, but they still find some things boring. Not they have one interest in their job because it helps them make more money, and so they keep learning about that, but they don't have any interest in anything else. I would think of that person as somebody who's generally disinterested in everything, and they're only doing that because they have an incentive to learn about that particular subject. You think they could be passionate about it? Sure, they could be, but the could be is not my issue. I'm talking about there are lots of people who are interested in learning and are not interested in a lot of different subjects. Mm -hmm. My explanation for that is simply that they don't have enough exposure to the subjects that they think of as boring. Like, I know lots of people that think of sports as boring. Lots of people that are very interested in learning, are very academically minded, and they think of sports as boring. Now, that stands in stark contrast to a lot of people that find sports really interesting and fascinating. What's the divide there? Right. Maybe there's just something that doesn't click with them. I think it's that they haven't had enough exposure to sports. They don't know enough about it. They don't know enough about the rules. They don't know enough about the history. They don't know the athletes. They don't understand the storylines, the emotion involved. Maybe they think it's all like artificial. You know what but I do mean? you think that's actually the reason? Or do you think what I'm saying is accurate? I mean, it could be accurate. Like, you're not wrong. There's probably some people who aren't interested in it. 
for, for the reasons that you're describing. Like, they don't know enough about it to care about it. Right. But I don't think that's the only explanation for why people wouldn't care about something, even if they love learning. I'm not saying it's the only explanation, but I think that that is a almost universal principle. If you don't know very much about something, it's going to seem less interesting than if you know a lot about it. That could be. Because you can't even think about it properly. Maybe it's just personally, it's like who I've kind of always been. It's if I don't know something about it, I've always kind of been like, hmm, I should research that. I should learn a little more. I should try to understand it better. But do you find anything boring? Like, what do you not have any interest in? Um, I'm sure there are some things. German cases, apparently. Well, it's not boring. I just didn't know that was a thing. Okay. I mean, I'm ignorant of an endless number of things. Right. We all are. But does that mean that I think it's boring? All right. So what do you have no interest in, Mike? Because I can tell you for myself. I mean, there's probably things I don't care about. Baseball. Baseball is a good example, actually, because I'm pretty interested in some sports. I like playing tennis. I like playing volleyball. I like playing basketball. Mm -hmm. And I love watching football. I love watching basketball. But baseball, God, no interest. It seems like the most boring thing in the world. Yeah. And I have all of these logical explanations for why I think it's boring. And objectively, perhaps it is slightly less interesting than other sports, but mm-hmm. I don't think it's actually much less interesting. I just think that I grew up not watching it. I grew up not knowing anything about it. I don't know any of the people that play. I don't really know much about the teams or the history or anything like that. My knowledge level of basketball and the NFL is so much higher than baseball that obviously I'm going to have a lot more interest. A really good example of this is how obsessed with football Americans are and mm-hmm. how the rest of the world could not care less about football and is much, much, much more interested in soccer. Like yes. soccer is not nearly as interesting as football can be. But this is the whole point. Interest is generally not something that can be objectively quantified. You can look at your personal subjective interest in something and you can look at somebody else's interest in something, but you can't say, well, that thing is objectively the most interesting thing in the world, except for, you know, the most interesting man in the world. Yeah, I mean, obviously. He's a winner. Objectively, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's hard to beat. Well, I mean, I don't know. I feel like soccer is pretty straightforward as a sport. You have the objective. The ball, cross the field, get it into the goal thing. Right. I don't know what it's called in that. You don't know what it's called? It's a goal, no, obviously. Please. Come on. Okay, it's goal. Well, they call it a goal. I didn't know the same thing that they kicked the ball into was also called a goal. Uh, what kind of Mexican are oh. you, Mike? Come on. Kind of Mexican that is ambivalent towards soccer. Okay, okay, anyway. To be fair, I'm ambivalent towards a lot of sports. But it's like if you took a vote of the whole world, mm-hmm. what sport is the most interesting sport? Soccer would win. It would be the number one. But both of us think Probably. that soccer is less interesting than football. Yeah. How do you explain that? Well, for me personally... So many cool different things happen in football and in soccer. Sometimes they have really cool kicks. I mean, but they just grew up with it. That's all they know. That's what they've always known. Right, but this is my point, right? Yeah, and they have access to it. They don't have access to football. You can't care about something you don't watch. They could have access to football. You think Europeans couldn't play football if they wanted to play football? They could, but they play rugby. Right, but rugby in most of Europe is not as big as soccer. In any country in Europe is not as big as soccer. You're probably not wrong. Like, I agree with you that football is more interesting, but 
I think that the reasons that we state for it being more interesting in terms of there's more strategy, in terms of there's more moving parts, there's more people doing different things. You can think through the game in a more sophisticated way, I think. But none of that is the actual reason. It's because we understand it on a deep enough level that we can really break it apart and tear it apart in our minds. We know something about the history of it. These are the reasons I mean, that it's more interesting. I actually looked into a lot of sports. Looked into baseball, history of baseball, of baseball, like some of the best players, some of the best games. Mm-hmm. Still don't care about baseball. I don't. It's just not a good sport. They should get rid of it. Baseball's terrible. Okay. If you're listening to this and you like baseball, find a better sport. <laughs> you're nothing if not good at alienating people. Um... <laughs> but, I mean... Even with soccer, I've done the same thing. I mean, there's some really cool things. When you're learning about something, the history of something is always neat. But that doesn't make it less boring. Sorry. So... It's those people just don't know any better because that's all they had. That's what they've gotten used to. So you think it's just that there's no access to football in the rest of the world and that's why they don't like football? No, it's just that they've decided that this is the sport. Like, they chose that life. They had like a lesser product and they stick with it. But how do you explain that? Because it's the only sport that they had for a long time. Maybe it's because it's cheap and accessible for everyone. So it's a lot easier for everyone to play it. You just need a ball in a big field and maybe you draw like a chalk goal. Yeah, but you know that might apply in Haiti. That doesn't apply to Sweden. Sweden's not playing soccer because it's cheap. I'm sure that's true but there had to be a point where that's what they had and that's what they went with and that's what they played and that's what they still do play that applies to the united states as well that applies everywhere i i don't know i i find your explanation completely unsatisfactory some things aren't satisfactory dude i don't know what to tell you what's your explanation what do you think it is that they don't have enough exposure to it on a day-to-day basis they don't know enough about it how many other sports do you find more interesting than soccer me personally yeah i don't know soccer's probably the third most interesting sport to watch behind football and basketball. Why don't more people play basketball? Well, lots of people do. Yeah, but why isn't it more popular? What do you mean? It is popular. Why isn't it more popular? Again, because people aren't exposed to it. This is, this is my whole point. Individuals are exposed to different things throughout their lives. And those things that they're exposed to, I think, largely shape their interest. And this is one of the things when you see children in elementary school, when they're told that they're really good at something, they end up wanting to do it more because Mm -hmm. they're really good at it or they're told that they're really good at it. It gives them that That self-esteem boost when they do it, right? And the more they do it, the better they get at it and the more interested Uh in it they get. So the people that end up most interested in math are the people that were told that they were good at math early on and studied math a lot. And I think this is a really useful thing because it's not just something that I'm arguing with you about. It's something that shapes our reality. The takeaway, the reason why this is something that's really valuable is because for yourself, if you find something boring, but you think it's important or you think it's valuable to know about, right? if you actually invest time into reading about it, learning about it, understanding the subject, you will come out of spending 100 hours studying this much more interested in the topic and we will find it less boring. So it's not going to be like you're just bashing your head into the wall for the rest of time as you learn about this thing. Gradually, you will understand the nuances better. You will find it more interesting. You will find it more engaging. This is my point. You're probably right. I mean, I've never been especially good at math, but I've always found it really interesting. Despite my lack of success in it for a long time, I always was very engaged Hmm. because it was 
kind of fun, even when I was struggling and drowning because problem-solving was fun. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I would agree with that. I always you know, liked math. And so, I don't know. I think some people lose interest in things because they're discouraged by them. Yes, definitely. And but, because it, things are hard. And if something is hard right. and they have to think, then it is discouraging. Because most people, I think, when faced with a choice between doing something that's hard and doing something that's easy, will lean toward doing something that's easy. That's fair. But yeah, I don't know. I like It's possible that my thesis is incorrect, that this is not how interest is generated. But I've seen it enough in enough people. Like for me personally, I brought up the French example earlier. And mm-hmm. I had essentially no interest in France until at university I started studying French. And mm-hmm. when I started studying French in my French classes, I learned about French culture. I learned a little bit more about French history. I learned mm-hmm. a little bit more about French food. And suddenly France was like a real place that had interesting things about it. The food Mm -hmm. was interesting. I understood how the food connected up with the culture and the history and how they had different cheeses in all different parts of Mm -hmm. the country and how those developed into these little local things of pride. And that sort of stuff is stuff that if you just look at the surface level and you just look at, oh, baguettes and brie, it's not nearly as interesting. That's fair. And so when I look at myself, I am constantly moving toward things that I've learned more about. And if I'm trying to shape myself and shape who I want to be, uh-huh. choosing what you study can change long-term what you're interested in, what you know about, who you associate with. And I think it's important to realize that just because you're not interested in something today doesn't mean you're not going to be interested in it after you grow a little bit and change a little bit and learn a bit more. That's not something I thought about. I like that. I used to find American history really boring. Hmm. Did not care about it. And then I took this class and... This teacher was just, like, amazing. Mm. He, like, gave us all this context. We spent maybe, like, a quarter of the semester learning about French and English history. Yeah. Like 100 or 200 years before, you know, the Americas were even colonized. Oh, nice. Because it, then it created this context, and it connected everything together, and all of a sudden, I was like, wow, this is cool. This is neat. This is, like, a whole worldwide event. I, I do like, completely agree with the you. The Americas. Early American history and colonial history is much more interesting in the context of European empires than it is just, oh, there's some farmers that came to Virginia. Right. I completely agree. So I won't disagree with what you're saying because that's like a a big example for me Mm -hmm. about something I didn't care about until I learned more about it. Right. But I spend a good chunk trying to learn about things I don't know about Mm -hmm. because I don't want to just dismiss something just because I don't know about it. Well, and I would say you're a bit peculiar with these things. And this is one of the reasons why... I do the show with you and why I like talking to you because you have strange interests and you have, I think, a higher level of curiosity than most people I know. So I can talk to you about just about anything and you're pretty well engaged on it, even if you don't know anything about it, even if it's random German cases that I brought up. You're generally going to be a little bit interested in it because you just are curious about things. But for most people, I think they really stick to the things they already know about. And those are the things that they're interested in. And I think people allow it to limit them in a lot of contexts. I think that's so weird because I'm like, if you know anything, it'll connect to something you don't know about. And you can learn about that, too, through the things you already know. And that's not always true, I know, but it can be. And it can definitely at least broaden your horizon. Yeah, I mean, anything you learn connects to other things. There are patterns in all information. And there are similarities across a lot of different subjects. So I completely agree with you. But I, I do think it's very common. Most people are not very interested in very many things. And I have never really understood why. 
But I think it's because, again, with so many of these things, people view things as much more static than they are. People mm-hmm. are dynamic beings. People change. Yeah. And you yourself can and do change. If you look at something like intelligence or interest or athleticism as just constant mm-hmm. and say, oh, well, I'm slow or weak or right. stupid or not interested Whatever. in math. Well, those things are how you are today. But in six months, two years, five years, it could be completely different. And that's something that I don't think people appreciate it enough. And it frustrates me with a lot of people I know who are just like, ah, I'm not interested in that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so... Yeah. You know, you could always use an example for people and just be like, you know, you think you're going to stay the same, but just look at every empire ever that no longer exists. Yeah, but like, that's not convincing to someone that disagrees with you. I mean, it's kind of convincing. You could just be like, this empire, do you know where that empire was? And they'll be like, no, I don't know where that empire is. I'm like, that empire is this country, this country, and that country. And they'll be like, what? I would never have guessed. And you'd be like, yeah, see, things change all the time. You can change to be better. Right. But if you say, oh... The Roman Empire doesn't exist anymore. That means things change. That doesn't necessarily mean that in one lifetime, one person will change. Those are two kind of different things. Yeah. I mean. No? They don't really get to find out, do they? <laughs> they, just have to, they just have to trust that it could happen in a lifetime. I think my personal examples of how I've changed are probably a little more applicable to convincing someone about how a person will change. Now you got to do it on big scale and then work your way down to the less important things like people. Go back to evolution. Be like, look, the dinosaurs don't exist. Things change. Yeah, that's a perfect example, okay. too. That's an even better example than the empire example, because that's taking the longer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, okay. Did you want to talk a little bit about media today? Yeah. Do it to it, my man. Okay. So I was thinking about our show, right? And what we mm-hmm. produce and why people listen to it. Please don't try to dissuade people from listening to us, John. <laughs> I'm not. But essentially, I was thinking about that, and then I was comparing that to why I listen to things, trying to draw out mm-hmm. my motivations for things and what right. other people's motivations might be. I was thinking that there are kind of three reasons to consume media. Okay. And to me, those are largely entertainment, mm-hmm. education, uh-huh. and information. Now, education and information are kind of similar, but when I say information, I mean like news, not necessarily trying to learn about something for yourself, Mm -hmm. but trying to learn about the outside world. And I was trying to think, well, why do people listen? Like, what is our show dealing with and why do we consume things? And not just our show, but like when I listen to other podcasts, when I listen to news, when I read newspapers and magazines and books, like why am I reading them? So what do you think? Like, do you think... What we do is largely entertainment. We're obviously not bringing news to people. Mm, we're mostly entertainment, I would think. Okay. It's just like a sprinkle of education here and there. You know, dropping a little knowledge. And I don't even know if you could consider giving someone, like, a different perspective as educational. Well, yeah, where does that fall on things, though? You know what I mean? Like, broadening people's perspective or changing the way they think about things. Is that learning? Or would that be informational? Like, yeah. I've always had perspective a and b but i never had perspective c because you're right i do think that outside of entertainment that's probably the primary value that we can offer is mm-hmm. our perspectives on things our thinking on things introducing people to topics they don't necessarily think about and providing right. different perspectives than they're used to 
I wouldn't consider that necessarily educational. Okay. Could it be informative? Yeah. Not in a current events kind of way, but yeah, because we're not really training people. We're not teaching them about a subject. You know what I mean? That's that's true. It's it's not educational in kind of the more classic sense. Right. The media that you consume, why do you consume it? Because we all consume all sorts of media from YouTube videos to movies and the cinema. Most of what you consume, what is your motivation for it? Is there anything you consume just for educational purposes or just for informational purposes? A lot of my reading. Probably 80% of my reading is to learn something new or learn about something hmm. new. But do you enjoy it? Yeah. So it's not purely to learn something new then. It's also well, I mean, entertainment. That's just because I like to learn new things. That's not to say that I necessarily always entertain by what I'm reading, but I read it because I want to learn new things, and I like learning new things. I mean, I'm with you. That, that does make sense. But there's this idea that I've been kind of working around in my head, which is mm -hmm. I don't think people watch the news simply mm -hmm. because they want to be informed. I think a lot of people watch news and read the news because they get something out of it. They they feel maybe entertain is not the right word, but it's not just because they want the information. It's because they kind of enjoy the process of watching it or reading it. You know what I mean? Right. They get like a high out of it in some way. I took this journalism class. Mm -hmm. And the way that my teacher defined news was generally bad. So something bad happened. Sure. News is generally bad, not always. And so maybe when people do watch the news, it is for entertainment just to see what bad things are happening. Yeah, but I don't think you if know? you asked the average person on the street that watches the news, why do you watch the news? I don't think they're going to say because it's entertaining. Well, I mean, I'm sure they won't say that. And maybe to them not something they thought about mm. but it could be that it is entertaining yeah no I, I think it is but it's interesting mm -hmm. that people don't necessarily caught on to their motivation for consuming that form of media well i mean it could be that they think it's informative and so they watch it regularly they believe it's informing them yeah but this leads to another question which is mm -hmm. if news is largely consumed because it's entertaining Right. Also because it's mm -hmm. informative, but largely because it's entertaining. Would people be better served reading books about topics that the news might cover than watching the news? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Reading things I that are more, more in depth and perhaps drier, but cover the same topics. For some people it would work. I don't think it would be like a good idea for everyone to try it. Why is that? Some people want something that has a little more flash to it, right? But for you, Mike. Me, Let's personally? personalize this, yeah. I would rather read it. In a in a book, you mean? In a book, a magazine. But I'm not talking about the way you consume it, whether you're reading it or listening to it or watching it. I'm talking about the depth and density of the information. Right. I would rather read it because from the time that someone gets the information, they'll have time to confirm the truth. They'll have some sources to back up any claims maybe they'll look into the history of what happened or the event or get more details and they'll be able to talk about it and break it down and explain maybe the ramifications of that event you know yeah i mean i think that's why it's useful to consume things on a slower cycle mm -hmm. tv news cable news in particular is of pretty low quality and that's why we read the economist right because it comes out on a weekly cycle so they can 
confirm things much more and they can filter out a lot more of the garbage. If you read stuff on a daily cycle, you've had much less time to confirm things and figure out what actually mattered from the week. So I agree with that. But yeah, I guess it's just I've been trying to figure out how I consume different types of information and if I should change how I consume different types of information what the most effective way to learn about different things is. Hmm. Okay. So have you come to any ideas about... It's still in process. I haven't reached final conclusions on this. You believe this drum's coming at us with this noise and he has no conclusions. I have some conclusions. I don't have everything. But essentially, there are some things that I think are clearly best learned about in book format. Mm-hmm. Those are things like history. Okay. Okay. So they're things that are factual, that have a lot of information, but don't necessarily have a lot of concepts that are challenging, right? Right. Concepts, I think, are often better packaged in articles or in things like podcasts, in, mm-hmm. in things where people can go back and forth and express and flush out an idea. I don't mm-hmm. think a podcast is ideal for learning something like history because learning something like history is more of a narrative it's it's laid out right. in such a way that this information this information this information this information and you just have to absorb it i mean i don't know history is pretty interesting because i've heard people talk about somebody's history podcast dan carlin's hardcore history yeah it's really really good yeah it's really good right and so you know i'm sure there's ways to, to like take in history through a different form of media than reading. But bringing up hardcore history is actually a good point that reinforces the idea I'm trying to get across, which is okay. that when he's producing a show, a lot of what he's actually trying to get across to people mm-hmm. is a certain perspective on that era in history or a certain perspective on those events. He's pulling out concepts and deeper meaning from the series of events. He's not really laying out for you, this happened, this happened, this happened. Like he is, but that's like the context from which he is pulling out the ideas that he wants to extrapolate on. Mm -hmm. For instance, one of his shows that came out, I don't know, several months ago, he talks about when the U.S. first repositioned to opening up to the world, right? Right. So around the turn of the century, the Spanish-American War, we went from being very focused on just ourselves internally and like expanding out to the Western United States and Manifest Destiny and that whole thing to being a global power, having colonies focusing out to the rest of the world. He wanted to bring out that change in perspective and change in culture and identity for the United States. And to bring out that idea, he talked about what happened with the Spanish-American War and what happened after that and leading into World War One and all of that, right? So mm-hmm. he talked about the historical events in order to bring out this concept, which I think works really well in audio format. But if you okay. just want to understand the events, it works much better in a book-type format, a longer-form, more detailed format. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Because I, th- I think for me... If I'm dealing with ideas, mm-hmm. videos and audio makes a lot of sense. If I'm dealing with just factual information, books tend to be much better. But I'm I'm still wrestling with this from the perspective of somebody producing media to be consumed. Another side of this is the shelf life of things that are produced. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. And so news is kind of on one end of it. Maybe live sports is even more on an extreme side of it. Mm-hmm. Live sports is essentially only relevant the day or maybe a few days after it comes out. Right. Like even the Super Bowl, nobody really cares about what happened in the Super Bowl three days after the Super Bowl. That's true. It happened. Everybody knew what happened. Everybody moves on. Yeah. I have to think that it's like one of those things where everyone watches the Super Bowl. But if you were to ask people the following year who won the Super Bowl, they'd be like, mm, I don't know. Nobody Somebody. Knows. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. Right. Because it's only like a spectacle. Exactly. Well, and, and it's it's the kind of thing that matters in the moment. And then after the moment, it ceases to matter. And during the season, it's even more so because this game is over. So we're on to the next game. Nobody's focused on the game that just happened five days after it happened. And on the other side of that, the other extreme, you have books, especially certain subjects of books that are just relevant for centuries. Like we still read stuff from Shakespeare. We still read stuff from Homer. We still read stuff from Thucydides thousands of years later. Yeah. And I mean, maybe if it was back at Thucydides' time, we would read it for historical importance. But something that comes from a newspaper, nobody's going to read it three months later. Like I had this very poignant memory of when I worked Mm -hmm. in a job in a consulting firm back in the U.S., back in L.A. And I was talking to one of my coworkers who really liked The Economist but didn't want to pay for The Economist. Mm -hmm. And she was like, oh, maybe when you finish reading every week, you can just give me the copy of The Economist that you read. I was like, yeah, sure. I'd be happy to do that. And I had been saving the copies of it for the last few months just because I hadn't thrown them out. So I had this giant stack of them back in my house, right? Mm-hmm. And I offered to give her my back copies for the last few months because I kind of viewed The Economist as this educational thing where I was mm-hmm. learning about the world because so many of the things that I was reading about, I was just completely oblivious to. Right. And I was learning about companies. I didn't really know about industries. I didn't know about governments and politics and regions of the world that I knew very little about. And the politics in parts of the world are insane. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, anyways, go on. Educational. Yeah, so I looked at it as kind of like reading a book, that it would be valuable to read this three years later because Mm -hmm. this information on these companies is still important. It's still relevant. It has longevity. But she looked at it as news, and I was offering to give her magazines from a month ago, and she was like, no, I'm not going to read that. I'm not going to read back to all of that. And it shows that the relevance of that stuff it's pretty short-lived. It doesn't have a long shelf right. life. So when we're thinking about things like what we're producing here mm-hmm. and like what we consume generally, I think it's interesting to think about the shelf life of it mm-hmm. and then also kind of use that as a filter to say, should I actually be spending my time to consume this? Because that has led me actually away from consuming very much in terms of live sports and reduced the amount of news consumption that I have or that I Mm -hmm. do. Uh, Because if something is no longer valuable or important tomorrow, I probably shouldn't spend time consuming it today. That's fair. That's actually a pretty good perspective to have. Yeah. It's been useful in thinking about it. Because what's the point? Precisely. Mm -hmm. I mean... The only counter argument that I can think of to it is that knowing about things in the moment can give you context for it in the long term. Like a lot of the things that are happening with President Trump and the politics of the United States over the last year or two 
are no longer relevant a few weeks after the fact, right? But right. knowing about all of those events as they're happening, I think does give you a certain context after the fact. Mm-hmm. And there's small enough things that you won't be made aware of them if you don't know about them as they're happening. And this is why I think older people, people in their 50s that know stuff about what happened with Nixon and all that lived through it. Like they have a different right. perspective than us because they have all of this detailed grainy information from when it was actually happening. But mm-hmm. that being said, if you think about it and you say, okay, I have an hour that I can read books every day and I have an hour that I can consume other media, whether it's reading The Economist, whether it's reading other magazines or newspapers or articles or watching educational videos or taking classes online. So I have two hours that I can learn a day essentially and consume media. Okay. How do I spend those two hours? That's a very constrained amount of time. It's true. It is hard to manage such a small amount of time every day. Yeah. And so when you look at that, you really have to set priorities. And I found that it's a useful filter to think about, will this stuff be relevant in a month or in six months? And as a producer of content, like with this podcast, right? and this is one of the reasons why I think when we've talked about what we'll discuss on the show and we talk about the things that we're interested in, it's not just you know, what are we most engaged with in the moment. Right. For me, one of the things that has been guiding me is, what are kind of timeless topics? What are things that are interesting today, will be interesting tomorrow, and were interesting 10 years ago? Right. And I mean, that is generally one of the big things we talked about before we started doing all this. Yeah. And I mean, even more so, whenever a way to try to avoid current events, because they might not be relevant. Exactly. And I think as we're producing this, and as we go forward, I want to stick with that, because I, I do think that that's really valuable, because... As people find us and as people listen to the show and if people are interested in our opinions, I really want people to be able to go back and listen to the back catalog in a year or two and find all of the shows still interesting and relevant to their lives. There are some podcasts that I listen to that I've gone back and I've listened to every episode that have been produced for the last five years. Wow. And there are some shows that I listen to and I only listen to from when I started to now because... All of the stuff from before that is just irrelevant, whether it was talking Uh, about news or whether it was talking about technology that's now outdated or it was talking about whatever. Like there are some that I kind of view as current events that I need to be listening to it in the moment or else it's useless. And there are some that have that better longevity. And, and, you know, it's interesting Mm -hmm. because that also straddles the divide of the whole entertainment versus informational thing because the more entertaining I find it, the more likely I am to go back and listen to the back catalog, the more I find it strictly useful for learning or information, the less likely I am to go back and listen to the back catalog, unless it has something that is specifically relevant to what I'm trying to do in the moment. But do you think it's because what they talked about earlier might contrast what they're saying now, or maybe something has changed in the last three months? Yeah, well, that's... Listening to the last episode wouldn't be as educational. Yeah, that's the key. Or is it more informational things that you don't go back and listen to and if there is something that you find educational you might go back and listen to the early episodes well and see this is exactly the divide mm-hmm. something that is more conceptual i'll be more likely to go back and listen to something that's more technical i'll be less likely to because for instance there are some podcasts about podcasting that i have found useful mm-hmm. to give me certain tips about different podcast hosts and directories right. and things to figure out how to go through the process of actually getting our podcast set up and getting it out there. But one of the podcasts that I listened to 
uh-huh. had suggestions for microphones, but it had suggestions for microphones from four years ago. And it uh. also had suggestions for software, but it had suggestions for software from five years ago. And I... the software for audio editing from five years ago that it was talking about is either not used now or one of the things for equalizing that was suggested hasn't been uh-huh. updated or maintained in several years. It's obviously not okay. something I should be using now. That information is completely outdated. Right. And for a lot of okay. things, it's like that. That makes sense. Like if I'm listening to something that's talking about how best to use your iPod, it's not going to be very useful. That sounds hilarious, though. Like podcasts that are about like, how best to use your iPod now, no. <laughs> or cool, neat tricks for your Xbox 360 or Twitter. Is it the wave of the future? <laughs> and sometimes it can be interesting to just go back and get that perspective in the same way that if you go and like watch TV from the 80s, it kind of messes with your mind. Yeah. You know, it, it pulls you out of your reality and puts you into a different reality. Right. Um, like here in Ireland, they have this show that they call Reeling in the Ages or Reeling in the Years, I think. Reeling in the Years, maybe. And it... They're reeling in something. It has a bunch of different clips from a certain year, from like mm-hmm. different TV and news that happened over the course of that right. year. And so you might watch a show and it talks about 1978 and everything important that happened in 1978. And it's fascinating because you see people in video wearing clothes from 1978. You hear people talking Mm -hmm. with lingo from 1978 and talking about the news and what matters and the Cold War and just just things that are just completely alien to us today. And, you know, it can be useful to step into that. But it's not useful from an actual informational perspective. It's only useful from a kind of getting a sense for that time perspective. I know, that's neat, though. I would watch that. It's a really cool show. That's something I would watch. I really think if they did something like that for the U.S. or for just internationally generally, it would be uh-huh. a really nice thing to watch that I would definitely watch. It's it's my favorite TV thing I found here. It's really, really cool. Sounds very cool. Yeah, it's good stuff. I'll link to it in the show notes. Please do. Uh, you want to wrap this one up for today, Mike? Yeah. Okay. Now we got to work out our call to action. Um go to our website Ah! (laughs) (laughs) exactly uh yeah so okay guys thanks for listening as always you can find our show notes at subjectradio.com slash wwots slash zero zero nine also i just wanted to take a moment to ask all of you if you're listening to this and you've enjoyed it and you know someone else who you think might enjoy it just share the show with somebody else we hope it's valuable we hope it's interesting we really want to have more people hear about it and listen to it and we want to know what you guys want us to talk about and so share it with some friends share it with anybody and strangers strangers anybody on the street just grab somebody by the face and yell at them just yeah. let anybody know and I mean, hopefully we can keep this going keep growing and we'll be back next week we need you yes we need you um uh, okay i'll talk to you next week mike yeah talk to you then okay bye bye
But do you find anything boring? Like, what do you not have any interest in? Um, I'm sure there are some things. German cases, apparently. Well, it's not boring. I just didn't know that was a thing. Okay. I mean, I'm ignorant of an endless number of things. Right. We all are. But does that mean that I think it's boring? All right. You know what I was going to say? No. And I, I would have put this in the recording. When you asked me, like, what do you think is boring? I was going to be like, podcasts. Really? <laughs> it was. Do you actually find them boring, gonna... though? Sometimes, yes. Have you listened to any of them? Yeah. I've been trying to listen to a bunch. Have you found none of them interesting? Some I've listened to more episodes than others. But I haven't found one that I feel consistently good about. Except for this one. But that's probably just because I like hearing myself talk. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, but let's uh, let's not say that. Okay, okay, yeah, let's not.